Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's a great song. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try singing now. That's just going to be my no. thing. No. No, it's not going to be your thing. It's going to be my thing. Our thing is video games. No, it's going to be singing video and games. video games. Anyway, Zach, what video games have you been recently been playing? Well, Seth, the video game I've recently been playing is a game called, I believe it's pronounced like Quomp. It's spelled Q-O-M-P. It was released on February 4th of 2021. It's developed by Stuffed Wombat, Britt Brady, Miracle, and Clovelt, and published by Stuffed Wombat. And it's a pretty cool game. In the game, you play as the ball from a game of what appears to be Pong. And at one point, when you pass by one of the paddles that, that are trying to smack you back and forth, you kind of enter into a whole new world. Um, that is beyond the paddles. So it's like if you're looking at a game of Pong, you have the two paddles at the sides and the ball in the ball in the center bouncing back. Basically, the idea is what happens when the ball goes beyond the paddle. And in this, you go through all these different mazes and obstacles and stuff. It's a pretty unique game. It's also kind of short, uh, or it, it's intentionally short. It took me about 90 minutes to play through the game to completion. The, the gameplay consists of the ball that you are playing as, which actually is more of a square, bouncing back and forth through these obstacles and mazes. And the only button you have is the space bar, which if you press that, you will change direction on, um, I believe that's on the Y axis. So if you hit one of the buttons, you can change the direction of the ball. You can give it a little, it kind of it allows you to basically just reorient yourself or change how to solve the maze it's a good game again very short i I recommend grabbing it it's only like seven bucks i think right now so just a quick indie game to enjoy um and the challenge levels are pretty challenging they change up different things so like for example one of the challenge levels speeds up the speed of the ball another one makes the entire maze pitch dark so you can't see anything except for the ball. They, they, they do different things to kind of give you a new experience when you're doing the challenge stages. Fun. Yeah. Is, is it like Pong graphics? Yeah. Yeah. It's all black and white 2D. It'd be cool if it would be like, you'd be like going back and forth and then you get passed through and then it like turns it to like a, like a, like a, a first person shooter or something. <laughs> the Pong it's ball like... is back and this time he's mad. <laughs> <laughs> or like the trippy um like subliminal kind of just oh, like yeah, a trippy yeah. trippy game so seth what have what what have you been playing recently well recently i've been playing a classic video game Ooh. that was released recently well re-released recently so i've been playing a game called gazillionaire and it was originally released in 1994 and it was developed and published by a company called lava mind which always had a really cool intro you know like when the companies have all their logos and sonic branding come through uh lava mind had like this like explosion this volcano exploding and it had like rumbling noises that's fun you always knew you were going to be in for a good time for the one game that we owned by them which was gazillionaire Mm. and that that noise that noise that you made you hear a lot in gazillionaire the mm. and it is a uh, a cartoony business game where you have a spaceship and you have to fly around the galaxy and trade items by buying low preferably and selling high oh so there's always six mpcs but you can add in players as well so like you can have your friend play against you i think there's only six total though so i think if you have six friends well five friends then i don't think there's any computer mpcs and it's a pass your turn type multiplayer so i would take my turn and then once pick the planet that i was flying to next then it would just start the next person's turn and the objective is to get to five billion dollars for your goal well it's not dollars it's like quarps or some weird currency so i paid full retail value for this game at 19.99 which is what they're selling it for on steam unless you have a fondness for this game and you're listening to me talk about gazillionaire and you're like i owned that game and it was great and i love it i i, I wouldn't necessarily say you pick it up for 20 dollars. i i would say if you can get it on sale that'd be this probably better it's definitely got a lot of like complex mechanics built into it and it is very very hard 
hard. I, so I generally play on like the novice difficulty. You have to be like simultaneously aggressive and also defensive because if you're not both, then either if you're not aggressive enough, then your competition is just going to be more aggressive than you and just take you out by buying everything from underneath you, but getting faster ships and beating you to like your to, to, to the destinations, buying all the stuff that you were planning on buying anyway. And if you're defensive, if you're not defensive enough, then if you don't like buy insurance for when you take insurance, you could run into problems on the ship where pirates attack or like uh, meteorites just destroy your ship and do like thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damage. You could lose an entire cargo run and you could also just waste money on insurance and the insurance fluctuates. So you could pay like you could pay like a hundred or you could pay like 15,000 per trip and there's no like rhyme or reason, which is kind of interesting. I really love the artwork in it. It's very over the top kind of it's so hard to describe it's its own thing but like some like pictures from it there's like um like one of the bankers is you go all the bankers are represented by this one dude's face and it's a gigantic head and like tendrils of like like weird vein tendrils coming out from the bottom and he just like bobs up and down because he's a floating head and everybody just like looks very alien and all the planets are like very colorful everything's very colorful in the game the the planets the people it's all just very colorful and just weird shaped objects and that and the the sound effects like were the reasons why i 100 percent paid 20 dollars for this game they have two other games as well uh the two other games are zappalism and profitania zappalism and profitania yes those are two names yeah i imagine both are very businessy i've actually never played them they are also going for 20 dollars a piece so i may try the demo of Zapplism or Profitania okay. and try them out. Uh, we may do an episode one day on Gazillionaire. Yeah. Because I don't know if Zachary remembers it, but it Not was... Not really. Uh, uh, I see some of the photos from it and it looks somewhat familiar. So I might have seen you playing it and then thought it was math and went away. It's almost kind of like math. <laughs> but it, it's like one of those games that I associate with my childhood and was, uh, was a great game to play. Nice. Speaking of games that we played in our childhood... What? We have a fun episode today we do we're gonna talk about one n64 game arguably one of the best ones well i think we already talked about probably the best one which was this mario 64 yeah 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 i think it's like mario 64 if i had to make a list of top three n64 games it would be mario 64 this game and then this game's spiritual successor <laughs> which I, I mean i don't know why i'm like spoiler tagging it because it's in the title we're talking about goldeneye 007 the hit game game by rare software that came out for the n64 based on the james bond film if you are interested in our opinions on mario 64 the other very successful game you can find our opinions in that in episode 50 yeah that's right uh, so not too long ago we talked about mario and now we're talking about pierce brosnan that's right you know when i think of <laughs> the most important people of the 1990s it goes it's again it's a list <laughs> it goes mario and then pierce brosnan <laughs> You know, Pierce Brosnan should play Mario. No, I don't think he should. I, I Maybe so. now he could. Well, I mean, he could. He's, he's aged, yeah. right? He could be old Mario. could be old Mario. Just classy old Mario, because everything Pierce Brosnan does is very classy. So, Zach, what are you, some of your uh, memories of uh, playing good old 007? Uh, I have a lot of memories, for sure. Um, I remember... <laughs> Great. Yeah. I remember... I don't. You don't have any memories? No, as you get older, you lose them. That's true. That's true. Um, I have a lot of memories in general, but I also have a lot of memories about GoldenEye. Um, I specifically remember, I think, when we first rented GoldenEye from a store called Family Video. Um, I remember we played it over a weekend with our with our dad, um, and then eventually I think we just bought. I think when the Family Video went out of business, we just bought that copy. <laughs> or never. We never returned. We might have not have returned it. That might be why they're out of business. No, I I feel like we might have bought it from Funko Land, which then opened. Oh, we up might have. We might have bought it from Funko Land. So there was Family Video, and then there was Hollywood Videos, and I think Hollywood Video was something 
like another video store before it maybe and but i always felt like there was like this little family video and then like down the street there was another video store and then if you kept driving you'd get to a blockbuster like yeah yeah there was also a blockbuster in town too it's just i think blockbuster was like just a few more steps down yeah it was there was like a in the town that we grew up in there was it was a downtown section that was it was pretty populated with fast food restaurants and video rental stores but anyway (laughs) so i remember playing goldeneye with seth and our dad i remember um seth always would play as odd job because for those who don't know in the game goldeneye you can play as odd job who is not a character from goldeneye by the way he's not from the movie but when you play as odd job he is shorter than other players because he is a short statured individual and in the game you could turn off auto aim and then you can just duck and you'll be even shorter if you play as odd job and you'll just run around the map as this really hard to hit tiny person meanwhile our dad would play as valentine who was uh robbie coltrane's character from the movie who was like the opposite of odd job in a couple of ways one he's on the taller side but also he's on the bigger side he's a very easy target to to hit i think jaws is the biggest target though jaws is the tallest who's also not from goldeneye he's just in the game and then and I was always partial to Artemov, who is the Russian commandant. And I think I just really liked him because of his really cool hat. He had kind of like the Russian militaristic style crush cap that are like you see in movies and stuff. And if you watch the movie GoldenEye, you'll see Artemov has that massive hat. What's, what's... Ormov is in the movie. And Valentine's in the movie. Uh, well, speaking of the movie, I never watched the movie until I was older, but I played the game first. So when I watched the mm-hmm. movie for the first time, I was like, I remember this part of the game. I remember this part of the game. I remember this part of the game. So props on the game developers for making an accurate, accurate depiction of the movie. Though one other thing that I think is a kind of a memory of mine, and I know it's kind of this ongoing joke, but... I don't know where else we're going to put this little anecdote about Goldeneye. But if you look at the box cover for Goldeneye, James Bond's face looks messed up. His hand looks like it's part of his mouth. I'm, I, I, like, I want people, when they're watching this, I want you to Google Goldeneye and 64 box art and look at James Bond's face and just look at how his hand is like lined up perfectly with his mouth and it makes his mouth look like it's stretched out really like an oval. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, now now you can't. I just found it. Yeah, online. it's it's really funny. It's, <laughs> it's like yeah. it, it's. I actually remember At. kind of noticing that when I was little, but then I saw someone post about it online. I was like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me! That's so silly! I can't see it ever, anywhere it's else." It's because like it's his hand is it's his gun. His gun <laughs> hand is holding it up to be the exact parallel of his mouth lip. I I never realized that, but now I can't understand it. It's in, <laughs> You're welcome. This, it's actually i found some website that's 15 embarrassing video game box art mistakes you can't unsee and the first one is goldeneye <laughs> Good. so anyway those are my convoluted memories about Thanks. goldeneye so uh i had i have some additional memories um i saw my my first experience playing goldeneye was actually at my friend's house um my friends had an n64 well before we did and they had GoldenEye on it and they also had like Mario Party and various other multiplayer N64 games uh, so we would have sleepovers and we actually had in middle school a decent amount of sleepovers at this one particular person's house and we would have like eight people sleep over or something like that it was a decent number of kids I remember somebody would have to bring their N64 because we didn't have enough N60 because N64 was only four players we didn't have like a six person attachment because I know you can get those as well, but we didn't have that. We just brought another N64. And then there was another TV that somehow emerged somewhere along the lines. And it, the group would get split and we'd either be playing Super Smash Brothers or we'd be playing Goldeneye. And kind of, it would be kind of like pick your poison when you're like sitting down because there would always be like one kid who'd really want to play Super Smash Brothers and another kid that would really want to be playing Goldeneye. Then the, the other non alpha kids, I guess, would have to decide what game they were playing with these other two leaders that star fox uh cruise in the usa and all those so i I remember 
also late when some of the kids would start going to sleep i i would try and play like the single player of the golden eye game like just to experience it because we didn't have an n64 i didn't know when we were going to get one so and that golden eye as much as i enjoyed the multiplayer of golden eye i think i enjoyed the single player of golden eye as a kid a lot more i felt like it was like a really cool story i think the story of golden eye single player coupled with like playing games like burger joint on the zzt kind of help establish in my my head of being a child that I really like these story driven games yeah. or games that had like missions and reason behind the mission versus just the gameplay versus games that revolve solely around the enjoyment coming from the game I really was heading towards enjoying games that revolved around the story itself I remember really enjoying that uh, I do remember that so as Zach said earlier I liked playing his odd job mostly because it was kind of exploity and I felt that I could get away with more things, especially when playing with my father. I think I played, I remember with my friends, it was always a rush to see who could get Odd Job, or we'd put rules down that no one could play as Odd Job. And as soon as the character select, I remember it was like this, uh, essentially this like panel of characters that you slide through. Yeah. And everyone would just be like speeding to Odd Job, and you'd have to like get the button pushed right on Odd Job first. And whoever got them first got to play as Odd Job. And that kind of bled in when we started playing it with my family except my brother and my father were less forceful when it came to rule enforcement yeah. and uh, i i also really enjoyed playing with the license to kill setting which is where it's one hit and you're dead yes yeah. and also either slappers only where you only there's no weapons and you just go around and like none like um karate chopping people or using proxy and remote minds i liked the proxy and the remote mind setting especially with license to kill because it, it turned into an entirely different game oh yeah yeah i really enjoyed like setting traps from my especially for like my dad and brother and like having traps set up and so then they would like trip them off and it would explode i think it was a game that it was at like the 24 hour mark we were playing it was like yeah, 23 yeah. and a half hours yeah, i think it was in the last hour or so when we did our extra live stream we played goldeneye for the last hour of our 24 hour live stream and i was belligerent about playing with like either remote minds or proxy minds with it being licensed to kill only and we had a lot of fun i had a lot of yeah, fun doing we did. that yeah, it, was, it was a good time it was uh it was a it was a good it was a good time um, and then as as soon as that 24 hour hit though I, I promptly fell asleep and I think the fun part about playing License to Kill with something like Remote Minds or Proxy Minds is because it's one hit death it's almost like becomes like a puzzle game where you're trying to like coordinate how to avoid an explosion that you might detonate or that someone might detonate where you might be just like one pixel in the blast radius and with that one pixel, that's death right there. You right. Know? You'd immediately die. And the way the explosions work in GoldenEye is they compound on top of themselves. So you'll have like this little explosion and then they'll like explode out. And you may not know how far it's going to go yeah. from the beginning. And I think depending also on how many mines are involved, <laughs> there could be, it could, it could compound and just chain off in depending on where they are. It's it's, it's it definitely becomes more of a, a thinking game versus a just trying to like shoot the person quickly yeah yeah so that's that's my my memories on good old goldeneye nice well to get into the history of goldeneye uh, GoldenEye was developed by Rare Software. Rare was a British studio that previously worked on games such as Killer Instinct and Donkey Kong Country. Now, we briefly talked about Rare in episode 32, which was our British Invasion episode. Very fun episode. Now, as Rare had a good working relationship with Nintendo, largely in part thanks to Donkey Kong Country, they were able to discuss the possibility of developing a game based on the upcoming, at the time, James Bond film, Goldeneye. Originally, the game was designed to be a platformer for the Super Nintendo, but was moved to a 3D shooter when the N64 was getting closer and closer to launch. Martin Hollis, who was the director for the game, at that time created a design document that included gadgets, weapons, characters, differences in the story from the film, and also how the AI would work with the player character. You know, I'm just thinking, like, an SNES version of Goldeneye, I mean, if they were able to get 
get it out with the same film it may be sold well but i think it would be ultimately forgettable oh yeah absolutely i mean do you remember the james bond game for the game boy because i just did (laughs) (laughs) and i think what's fun is i also think that goldeneye came in at a weird spot because like the first person shooters that came after goldeneye like perfect was it perfect dark yeah aren't as rememberable either (laughs) the team did go on to visit the goldeneye set at mgm and eon productions uh, spelled E-O-N Productions, who were the rights holder for the James Bond IP and MGM, signed a license with the team and were comfortable with them expanding on the levels to show sequences not in the film. So the reason why this was kind of important for the GoldenEye development team was because while yes, you see places like the dam and the facility and the silo in the movie, they're brief snippets. I mean, the dam shows up in a sequence of, I just rewatched the opening to GoldenEye before this episode um, like, a, a, like a couple of hours ago. It's literally less than a three minute sequence of it's, it's a couple of, it's barely a minute. It's James Bond just running down the dam and then bungee jumping. Isn't it? It's the intro, right? Before the, even like before the before credits, the credits roll, right? So it's such a quick yeah. sequence. And what the game does, which is kind of cool, is it, it's a whole story. I mean, it's like, it sets you up before you even get on the dam. You know, you're just getting there. You have to, you have to gun past the guards. You have to collect some things. You have to disable security systems. It, it elaborates on this whole background of stuff that Bond might have done when he was on this dam we don't know we just see him jump off of it so it's kind of cool you know they they were allowed to do this though eon didn't have any problems with it so there was various difficulties in the game there was agent secret agent double o agent Mm -hmm. and the harder the game you set the difficulty on the more tasks Mm. were there so it wasn't necessarily that the game was harder like the the enemies weren't necessarily harder it was you had more complicated sequence of of tasks that you had to do and sometimes these tasks you had to like figure out like they weren't even they weren't necessarily simple they could be like disable the satellite how yeah right it's like there was no no answer to that you have to figure out the computer system that was correctly to be destroyed in the the, that particular level so the team was also free to add to the source material as well and they actually took a lot of inspiration from the john woo film hard-boiled to add to a variety in the special effects and the combat john woo is actually one of my favorite directors in his film hard-boiled and knowing that they took inspiration from hard-boiled and from other john woo films i can totally see it replaying goldeneye for example in GoldenEye the game, you can dual-wield weapons, which James You're Bond right. never does. <laughs> you never see James Bond just dual-wielding Walther PPKs, you know, as he, like, runs through a scene. However, that is a staple of John Woo films, is dual-wielding. In fact, in all of the John Woo films, you always see someone dual-wielding, like a pistol or dual wielding um you know submachine guns and i think you could dual wield every single weapon yes you could including rocket launchers if you unlock that if you unlock the like all weapons cheat it's uh, dual wield everything which is hilarious to me or dual wielding you could dual wield sniper rifles (laughs) and as a child i didn't really question it but as an adult i feel like that's it is a little weird Uh, beyond being influenced by john woo uh, the game also drew heavy influence from games uh, such as uh, Sega's uh, Virtual Cop, Id's Doom, and even Super Mario 64. As I think we mentioned in the Super Mario 64, that the level design of that that game influenced the Rare team when they developed Goldeneye to be more open sandbox. Yeah. So uh, the Virtual Cop influence was things such as penalties for killing the innocents and the requirement to reload your weapons. Mm. Where in, 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 in Bond, you could fail missions for killing hostages or hostages hostages are killed you would fail the mission minimize scientist casualties <laughs> minimize scientist casualties rescue the hostages on the boat there's all sorts of stuff like that kind of interlaced in which is cool and kind of changes up more than just those seek and destroy missions or those like uh capture kind of yeah, missions yeah. where you have to go and capture a specific point um that may be a, a computer or something but at the end of the day you're just moving your character to a specific point in the game and pushing a button the and the super mario 64 all all the stages different objectives within each stage was because with mario you'd go in every you would have a stage but you would have with super mario 64 you would have one stage but you would have like six objectives 
because you have six different stars that you'd have to get or eight different stars and so they interlaced that with goldeneye with having multiple objectives also i feel like they probably took where in order to get to the higher level of difficulties you have to play the lower level of difficulties or you have to beat the previous yeah. you have to beat the previous mission at a yep the same difficulty so like if you only played as agent which is the lowest difficulty you only got the option to do a higher difficulty on the first mission and then the second mission it would only be agent and you wouldn't be able to go up to the higher difficulty until you either beat it as agent or you went back to the previous one and played it as a higher difficulty it would it put replayability into those like 20 stages that were in Goldeneye, 18 of which were in the core game, and then 20 were the the two unlockables, or eight, two were the two unlockables. Yeah. <laughs> 20, 20 were unlockables. Four. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, 18, 18. Well, I guess they were all unlockable because yeah, you had to beat yeah. the previous game to unlock it. Work began in uh, January 1995. The team consisted of Martin Hollis, and the programmer was Mark Edmonds, and Carl Hitlin w- was the background artist. And B. Jones was the character artist. And the production was done on the SGI Onyx graphics supercomputer. And it utilized a custom N-I-N-G-E-N development software. Or Ningen. Yeah, it was a like, proprietary software for developing Nintendo games. The team did not have specifications for the as-of-yet-unreleased N64 so they had to construct the entire game based on just estimations of the power of the system that the game was going to be on. And as the progress grew with the game, so did the staff. One of the first additions was David Doak, who created the level designs and the artificial intelligence. And for a fun fact, Doak is a scientist that you have to rescue in the second level's mission, yeah. which is facility. So after a period of uh, another six months, Hollis hired more staff, who also included Steve Ellis, whose job was just assisting the team and create and creating the multiplayer mode, and also adding in cheats. Uh, according to uh, David Doak, Ellis sat in a room with all the code written for the single player game and used that code to turn Goldeneye into a multiplayer game, <laughs> which. I mean, it sounds like was kind of a late, later stage decision to turn it into a multiplayer game, but I think, and we'll we'll probably get more into this, was probably one of the best decisions in the long run to turn it into a multiplayer game because GoldenEye is a great game as a single player game, but my gosh, does the multiplayer add so much to it? So during development of the multiplayer, the team assumed that they could use anything from James Bond. So they added in characters from other films. Uh, This meant that characters such as Oddjob, Jaws, Mayday, and Baron Samedi were all available as characters. One plan was to add previous James Bond actors as well, such as Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, and of course you'd have Pierce Brosnan. Now, they actually, from my understanding, they got to the point of modeling like a Sean Connery uh, model. They had like the white tuxedo that, Connery is kind of famous for wearing and they they had the, the design done and apparently an Eon executive came in and was like hey you can't do that turns out when they were given the rights to make the Bond game they were only allowed Pierce Brosnan's likeness and for for Bond so they could put in other characters that Eon didn't care right. if they put in like Oddjob or Jaws but they couldn't put in Sean Connery because he hadn't signed over his likeness so they could have put in Goldfinger, though. They could have. Yeah. They could have, yeah. yeah. But they didn't. <laughs> Goldfinger. So they had to scrap this. Basically, they, they found out they didn't have permission. So this plan was completely ditched. I don't think it even made it into like, I don't think there are any like beta builds or stuff. If you scrape the game, I don't think you can even find the files. I think they were completely removed. And NPCs that weren't based on pre-existing characters were modeled on developers. So just even like generic scientists and stuff like that, you'll notice that some of them reuse the same textured face and it's usually some guy who worked in staff. Like David Doak. (laughs) When the final N64 hardware was available, the developers found out something interesting and that was the system was much faster than the SGI Onyx machine. And this was great news for them. It allowed them to find ways to increase the game's performance, though in the end they did actually have to cut down the texture resolution. So they had originally planned for the textures to be higher resolution, 
at the cost of the game's performance. But when they actually were able to get their hands on actual N64 hardware, they were able to speed up the performance while doing some slight cuts to the overall resolution, which I think was beneficial to the game, especially in multiplayer where you kind of need the game to run fast. Nintendo reviewed the game and were a little concerned about the violence. Nintendo wasn't really used to selling a first-person shooter, especially one like this. So to appease to Nintendo's concerns, Rare actually added in an end credit sequence that introduced all of the NPCs to make the game feel like it's a movie. (laughs) So that's why when you beat Goldeneye, it will go through every single NPC, including just random civilians and like random scientists and be like, scientist, soldier, like military man. (laughs) Like it just goes through all of them. (laughs) But I guess the idea is they didn't really die. They were all acting. It was was all just a, a, you were just playing it in a movie. Exactly, exactly. That was a video game. They also toned down the deaths. So a lot of the deaths were done via motion capture and there was actually more death animations and some of them were a little more gratuitous looking there was one in particular where there was a cut item from the game that was a taser that you could use to um, stun people and there was a cut animation where the guy looks like he's being electrocuted so yeah it was so they they had to cut stuff like that unfortunately well i guess uh (laughs) nintendo was like no 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 (laughs) so finally in an august 1997 the game hit the shelves it was released on a 95 megabit cartridge and while the game was released over a year and a half after the goldeneye film came out (laughs) the best part about bond movies is they just keep coming out yeah so, lo and behold, they took so long to release the game that Tomorrow Never Dies was just around the corner. So, they were able to still, and and fortunately, in Tomorrow Never Dies, Pierce Brosnan is still Bond. That's true. Because that would have been weird, yeah. releasing a James Bond game with not the correct Bond. Well, I guess he was the correct one for Goldeneye. So, with the publicity of Tomorrow Never Dies being out, uh, they were able to ride on that marketing blitz. And fun fact, Rare included... With every single cartridge, a ZX Spectrum computer emulator with 10 rare titles from their back catalog. That's true. It was not available <laughs> for anyone to play and has only been unlocked via people hacking the game system. Yeah. And I think it was only discovered relatively recently. Only in the last few years. Someone... In the last few years, yeah. somebody realized that Rare embedded that. Maybe if Rare didn't do that and instead used that space... For more game textures, <laughs> we have a higher textured game. We have enough room Those for this ZX game Spectrum emulator. Stuff. Should we just throw it in there? Yeah, why not? I don't really care. Those ZX Spectrum games are, are pretty basic, so they probably don't take up that much not space. Not at all. Overall, the game was expensive for them to make. The game cost $2 million to develop and publish. However, it sold approximately 2.1 million copies in its first year, which even if you sold the copies for a dollar they would have already made back the development costs that's right which i guarantee you they did not sell them for a dollar this in fact surpassed nintendo's ocarina of time goldeneye would go on to sell about 8 million units worldwide making it the third best-selling n64 game of all time after super mario 64 at number one mario kart 64 at number two and then it was goldeneye and then legend of zelda ocarina of time which i guess it's kind of cheating to say mario 64 was number one because that was bundled with every single n64 system so (laughs) Mm, that's true though goldeneye would later become a pack and bundle with the n64 overall the game's total gross was 250 million dollars which for two million bucks not a bad return on investment for nintendo no not at all uh the game was wildly popular and was also critically acclaimed. Uh, reviews at the time praising things such as the detailed environments, the animations, the special effects when you shot at a glass or a wall, the lingering smoke that persisted after you shot, the zoomable sniper rifle, and of course, the multiplayer. One magazine at the time, uh, Next Generation, referred to the game as the killer app for the N64. Nice. Goldeneye did a really good job. And to be honest, it holds up. I'm it's it's a great game to play today. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll get into some fun facts about Goldeneye and the legacy of it. That's right. I mean, with great success comes great legacy. It's not what Uncle Ben says, but I already made an Uncle Ben joke in one of the last episodes, so can't do that again. 
After GoldenEye's success, Rare would begin work on its successor, this time called Perfect Dark. While Perfect Dark is not part of the James Bond universe, it does borrow heavily from GoldenEye 007 in terms of uh, gameplay and design. Perfect Dark is a completely original story. It follows a spy named Joanna Dark as she goes on a mission involving an alien. Pretty sure the alien's name is Elvis. <laughs> he's also a great, like That's a, a great alien. alien. Like he's kind of like generic looking, like it's like Slenderman. No, kind of looks like like Roger. I think from Family Guy. <laughs> Roger from Family, Not Family Guy. Me, American, American Dad. Dad. American Dad. Yeah, <laughs> like, they're all the same show to me. I mean, they they are. They really are. I actually really like Perfect Dark, though. Perfect Dark does have uh some you know not great parts about it for example you need to have the expansion pack to play it it's also really dark isn't it no not really the first level's a little just re- dark but the rest of the That's game is pretty the only level i ever played <laughs> That's fair. um it does have co-op though like you can do the entire game in co-op which is pretty cool so while perfect dark was in development martin hollis left rare to go work on development for the GameCube. Other members of Rare left as well, including most of the GoldenEye 007 team, who went on to create a company called Free Radical Design. Now, Free Radical would later create the incredibly popular Time Splitters franchise, which also took a lot of influence from GoldenEye 007. You can actually see that if you play Time Splitters, you'll see a lot of influence come from GoldenEye. I mean, simple things like reload animations and stuff like that. So in late 1998, Electronic Arts signed an agreement with MGM to produce future James Bond games. Their later titles would never really get the same success that GoldenEye 007 did, but often contained references to the popular title. In 2006, Activision got the (laughs) James Bond license for video games. And in 2010, a reimagining of the GoldenEye game was released for the Wii. This version features Daniel Craig as Bond, It plays more like a contemporary first-person shooter. Uh, It's kind of bad. They actually re-released it as well for the PS3 and Xbox 360 called GoldenEye Reloaded. And it's, people call it uh, James Bond Call of Duty (laughs) because it plays almost identically to a Call of Duty game. It's just like cover fire, you know, iron sights, that sort of stuff. Needless to say, Activision no longer has the license for James Bond games. They lost the license in 2014. Though I think a new James Bond game is out soon or due to be out soon by the developers of Hitman. Oh, yes, Eidos. Yeah, Eidos. Now, separate from this uh, reimagining, there were plans to bring the original GoldenEye 007 game to Xbox Live Arcade. At some point in 2008, Rare worked on a remaster for the game that featured high-definition textures and 60 frames per second gameplay. This remaster was ultimately canceled. Though... They did remaster Perfect Dark for Xbox uh, Live Arcade, um, which was very similar in style in regards to the remaster. However, 2021, a full playthrough of the canceled GoldenEye 007 remaster was streamed to YouTube and then dumped as a ROM image by an unknown source. Through emulation, you can play this canceled game. It's really fun. It is amazing i think my favorite thing that you can do is toggle between the original graphics and the hd graphics on the fly using like one of the buttons yes that is the right trigger it is amazing you can you could go to the original graphics you can see the hd graphics i do like six i don't know i just do like every like (laughs) just do it randomly just like walking around i'm like this look back then oh yeah (laughs) yeah these bright green guys are now dull green it's great yeah it's amazing i i recommend if you need help getting this to work on whatever computer you have just send us an email we'll help you out fans would also not forget goldeneye 007 or the impact it made so beyond the official remaster, well, the unofficial remaster by Rare, the official remaster by Activision, fans also decided that they should remaster it. A source remake of the multiplayer was co- was created called GoldenEye Source, uh, which began development in 2005, and it has been updated as recently as 2019. There was also a fan remake of the game that was being planned for the Unreal Engine, uh, was ultimately canceled uh, due to MGM threatening the developers with legal action. So unfortunately, since there are so many different pieces in the James Bond pie, if you don't get everybody kind of hitting on all cylinders, you can get in trouble by taking James Bond and creating properties. Yeah. The fan remake at the time known as GoldenEye 25 for the 25th anniversary of GoldenEye has been revived as 
spies don't die. So they are still kind of moving forward. Yeah. I think it's like GoldenEye without being GoldenEye. Yeah. So it's now being called, it's now called spies, S-P-I-E-S. That's, it's all, it's spelled, it's spelled out like that on the game. I'm not spelling it out <laughs> to you because I, I think that you don't know how to spell. Um, it's, it's literally the game is S-P-I-E-S. Don't die. It's going to be an original game and it's going to be in the style of the original rare game, GoldenEye. It's just not going to be called GoldenEye and it's not going to have any James Bond references yeah. in it. There is one more. There is a an N64 modder known by the name of Subdrag created a sequel to the GoldenEye 007 game called Goldfinger 007, which is an entire total conversion mod of the original code of GoldenEye. It was released for free online, since if he sold it, he would be sued. And it has an entirely brand new campaign. It includes uh, new sound effects, new music, new levels, new weapons, and even new multiplayer map. It still operates with a open world setting for each mission, however, with much, much larger maps. Yeah, huge. And in fact, in order to play the game on the original N64, you need to have an N64 expansion pack, and it still will have issues. Yeah. They recommend the best way to play it is on a computer with the actual processing power to be able to handle the incredibly open maps and based on from what i have seen kind of empty open maps but um, it's still pretty cool you know uh you know. it is is very cool it, it it does have uh a rendered sean connery <laughs> and the staff of or the staff and the characters of goldfinger yeah and does go through the story of goldfinger through very golden eye-esque type style yeah. which is, is cool i really like yeah I, I was playing it recently via the older emulator 1964 which some people have there's a modified version of 1964 you can download that has been like spec like all the settings have been specifically set to play games like GoldenEye and Goldfinger but more importantly it has a mouse mapper in it so that you could play the game with mouse and keyboard support so you can play it like you're playing a normal first person shooter and it feels weird because <laughs> I'm not used to playing goldeneye style games with a mouse and first person shooter it like doesn't feel right but it also feels like it should have been made that way sort of deal like if the well the n64 did have a mouse but if the n64 had a keyboard and a mouse that could work together like that's how i think it should have been played back in the day well that's it that's it that's gonna be our goldeneye episode and we're gonna wrap up here with our byway pass so zach yes what are you excited about buying waiting or passing on seth the game that i'm excited about buying waiting or passing on is a game that i'm probably also going to butcher the name of similar to my my recently played i believe it's pronounced militacianer sure uh, yeah militacianer it is being developed and published by a company called tall boys which is a great name for a company I just love that name. So Milta Sionar is a first person surreal immersive runaway simulator. In the game, you're playing as an individual who lives in a town that's being monitored by the giant policeman who is this like skyscraper tall human being who just watches over everyone in the town. And he's a policeman. So he's dressed like a policeman. In the game, you haven't broken the law or have you? Someone must be telling lies because you are about to be arrested. So it's a strange game. It looks so strange. It's probably going to be a a, a buy for me. I think I'm thinking about a buy for me just because it looks so, so weird. I love it. It's also apparently like an open world game, which I think it just adds more to it. Which is just like <laughs> of all the different stuff you could do in this game. It looks funny. Zach sent me some imagery or video of it. When he says it's a tall policeman, a giant policeman, I, his face is like in the sky. Yeah, no, giant. he's like the size of a building. Yeah. Like, he's he bigger than a building. Gigantic. He's bigger than the buildings in the game. <laughs> he's massive. Yeah, it's, it's it's really strange. So you're going to buy that. 100%. You love... That's like a buy. I don't know when it's coming out, though. I think it's like one of those will be out when it's out sort of deal uh but it's 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 definitely like i want to i want to run from the giant russian policeman it's my goal so my byway pass has nothing to do with giant russian policemen and it's called the tenants and it's being developed by ancient forge studio and should be released quarter one of 2021 however they have a free trial called the the tenants free trial oh. uh and it's been available since march 9th uh i've played a little bit of it 
and so far I'm, I'm i'm really digging it uh you play as yourself as a created character you have to go around and clean and renovate properties for money so that you can collect enough money to buy properties to then clean and renovate to rent to people to be your tenants okay. so you have a couple aspects of the game you have the like renovation mode which almost feels like the sims um where you're like going in like putting down furniture putting up wallpaper and stuff like that and you need to have like so many things in a place to qualify for a building that people would want to rent for you from you from you for money or to have you have be happy with a renovation so you may have to like renovate someone's kitchen and they'll give you some money and they'll need a refrigerator in the kitchen because it's a kitchen and you generally start from like the bare bones and then you start getting tenants and you have to deal with you actually it's cool because you have to you get like um an open house that comes in and the tenants will like the they're like little polygonal graphics tenants that will come in and they will like look at things and if they like it then you you then you can negotiate with them for a rental rate and you can negotiate for how long you want them in there for you know like 30 60 or 90 days as a like a rental rate and then how much money you are going to collect that from them and it tells you how much cost it is for you as well so you can make sure that you have a good buffer and um i think the the, just like a fun aspect of it is that the story is that your like uncle's helping you along with this and he's kind of the tutorial person like so you're talking to your uncle as you're going through the game and the uncle does everything for you so you like ask you so he you need to clean up a place before you can like renovate it and your uncle goes in and like sweeps up all the debris and like cleans up the water and stuff like that and then if there's like cockroaches or something at your tenant's apartment then the tenant calls you and you send your uncle with like a can of raid like you you as the player don't actually do anything but design things and your uncle does all the like heavy lifting you have to control the uncle and tell him how to do it in the game in the gameplay mechanic time also continues to tick along um, it just slows depending on what you're doing so you can actually if you have too much going on kind of get overwhelmed and then you can't complete jobs because jobs need to be completed in a certain amount of time and your tenant's going to be like hey i got like these things that need to be taken care of so you're trying to do that and doing that and so yeah it's been it's been pretty enjoyable i'm definitely going to put it down for right now i think i'm going to put it down as a buy it looks like a fun little uh management type game and very much i really like the kind of decorating the apartments because it feels kind of like the sims without playing the sims which is a fun type of thing and i kind of like the interactions with the tenants and it just seems like a cool game so i'll probably play the demo a little bit more and then when it comes out inevitably i'll pick it up but yeah so that's it that's gonna be our golden eye episode for england james for england alec uh so let's say you want to listen to our podcast and that's it <laughs> let's say you want to listen to our podcast reach out to us or support our podcast well there's plenty of ways you can do that first off if you want to listen to us you're already doing so so that's great i'm glad you're listening to us i'm glad you made it this far you you are one step away from the shire than you've been i don't know the saying it's from lord of the rings anyway congratulations on making it this far however if you want to let people know how to listen to us they could do so by listening to us on any of the different uh, podcast applications out there. I mean, we're available on Spotify. We're available on Stitcher. We're available. We're available on iHeartRadio. It, we're it's, it's it's just everything. We're on everything. It's crazy. Um, so let your friends know to listen to the Classic Gaming Brothers because uh, you love us and you want them. You want to listen to us. I don't know what I'm saying. Let your friends know that you want to uh, that you want them to listen to Classic Gaming Brothers, and they can do so on any of the available podcasting applications. And we'd love to have them. And we love having you here. So let's say you want to reach out to the Classic Gaming Brothers. Let's say you have a question for us. You want us to talk about a certain topic. You have a critique you want to make about the episode. Uh, you want to tell us the. Um, who your favorite character was in GoldenEye, like the character that you always mained when you played the game. Well, you can do so by reaching out to us via our email or through our website. So on our website, ClassicGamingBrothers.com, we have a contact form. You can fill out that contact form. It'll send an email over to us. Or you can just pop open your email client that you use and send an email to ClassicGamingBrothers at ClassicGamingBrothers.com or ClassicGamingBrothers at gmail.com or Seth at ClassicGamingBrothers.com, or Zach at ClassicGamingBrothers.com. They actually all go to the same inbox, 
So feel free to send out an email to us. We'll be glad to receive your email. We'll be glad to hear what you have to say. Uh, If you send us an email, you'll be entered into a chance to win a free video game from our library of video games that we have. You also get a chance to be entered into a drawing for our announcer from our Christmas episodes uh, voice on your home answering system if you're interested in that sort of thing. So, um, you know, feel free to reach out to us. We're always happy to communicate with with new people and talk to them. Now, let's say you want to support us. Well, you're already supporting us. And in fact, the best way to support us is by continuing listening to us or telling your friends about us. We like to say, tell three friends. So be sure to do that. Tell three friends out there that you love the Classic Gaming Brothers. You think we're a great podcast and you want them to listen to us. And right there, that's supporting us, just doing that. Letting people know you like us, following us on all of our social media. We have a Facebook, we have a Twitter, we have an Instagram. Our Facebook and Instagram, I'm going to switch it up there. Our Facebook and Instagram are Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. So follow us on those. You can also follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Classic Gaming Brothers. Happy to have you. Happy to see you. We're going to try to stream every other Wednesday or so since last time we streamed, which was on the 3rd as of the releasing of this episode. So last time we streamed was on the 3rd of March. We're going to try to stream every other Wednesday from there as best as we can. Um, So um, we're going to try to keep somewhat of a schedule, I think, going forward. Maybe not. We'll see what happens. Who knows? Um, Things might come up. You never know. So, um, oh, and also we have a store. You can buy our merchandise if you want to. We have a shirt. We have a mug. It's got our face on it. Uh, so i think that's it i think i covered everything unless seth has something he wants to add don't play games like my brother don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's right right such an amazing game Bump. I'm. Do do do. That's the elevator music when you're in the in the game. <laughs> <laughs>